1: And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Erin Straza and Hannah Anderson. everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks so much for joining our conversation today. It's part of our series called Growing Viral, Well-Being in the Age of Corona. And each of these episodes will look at ways we are responding and reacting to the COVID-19 pandemic. And then we're seeing how we can move toward wholeness in this era. Now, in our previous conversation, we highlighted some general ways that this crisis is revealing how we think and how we operate. And now it is time to dive into something specific.
2: It is. And it's going to feel like a deep dive right away. Oh, um, yeah. What Here hasn't been? What hasn't been a deep dive in the last three or four <laughs> weeks? I feel like I know I'm an adult, but it, I feel like I became an adult at another level. Yeah. even in these last 3 weeks my kids are like mom what what else has happened in your life oh that is gosh. like this um, i'm like nothing, nothing. yeah nothing, nothing could
1: prepare us for this no
2: Nothing Not at all. But to help us do that today, we didn't feel completely adequate, just you and me, Erin, right? Mm-hmm. So even true. though we are the fine ladies of this podcast, we felt like we needed to bring on some of the best kind of company. So we have invited um, our friend John Stark, who is a pastor in Manhattan and the author of the recently released book, oh. The Possibility of Prayer to come be with us today to help us process um, our responses and reactions in this moment. So, John, welcome to Persuasion. Hey, thanks.
0: If I'm, if I'm not a fine lady, what what should I be called? <laughs> well,
2: well, you're the best kind of company. You so are. So there's fine ladies, rational minds. You may fall into that category, too. We'll, we'll let you overlap. <laughs> okay. And the best kind of company. So okay. you can fill that space. Okay. We're so glad that you're here, good. John. Oh, no, thanks. Now, John, you are in Manhattan, and you're a pastor, and you and your wife and kids have been there for, what, eight years? Is that, or is it yeah, longer a than that?
0: Under, just a little under a decade.
2: Okay. Wow. Okay. So could you first tell us what life is like right now for you all? What what has changed in the last three, four weeks for You as a family, as a church, as communities, um, you're pretty close to one of the major epicenters and outbreaks, at least nationally. Um, So what does life look like right now?
0: It it feels ever-changing. It feels like every day something's different. Uh, You know, just a few weeks ago, we were just beginning to plan um, Holy Week and Easter and what all that might look like, and then suddenly we... We went to um, okay. How do we do church gatherings over Zoom and Mm -hmm. uh, things really quickly? So um, now it's just sort of okay. How do we? How do I make sure everyone's doing okay? How do we think about money in the bank? How do we think about making technology uh, work for us? We have and we have a number of. Healthcare workers in our church who are, you know, on the front lines of a lot of these things. So, staying in contact with them, talking with their spouses, working through anxiety on that level, and um, yeah, just trying to, you know, at some point because we're all away from each other, um, there's a, a an element of trying to do the best that you can in connecting with everyone but at the same time just sort of trusting god for what you don't see and that's just a that's probably more challenging than i thought it was going to be um but um yeah other than that it's we're like surprise homeschoolers and (laughs) in a Mm -hmm. small two bedroom apartment with our kids and um yeah so
1: well john i so appreciate hearing this from you, because you are much closer to the epicenter of one of the major outbreaks, just as Hannah had mentioned. Um, For me, I'm in central Illinois, so I'm about two hours south of Chicago and just Mm -hmm. far enough removed from what's going on there, where our our city is having some cases and um, there has been loss of life already, but it's not quite as intense. And so I think it's so easy for someone who's a bit removed like me um, to feel a little bit like this unknown, like what you said, you you can't see it. It makes it feel a little bit easier to downplay it. And it really kind of highlights the, um, the tendency, I think, to see some of the denial that we've been seeing um, in commentary. And so I really appreciate you being here to speak to some of that because that's really what we want to get into today is what is this response that we have to deny what's really going on?
2: I would second what Erin has to say there, that being in the country in Virginia, being removed from even um, more densely populated areas, Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels like it's a threat. It's a real thing. But in my daily life, while my daily life has changed, I I can't hear stories from real people in my real life that are experiencing things. So it still feels very distant, um, very far removed. And I have seen um, this response or this reaction from folks who are at a distance that, well, this is not a real thing. Because we haven't necessarily experienced it or know anyone who is directly involved um, with the work.
0: Yeah, it's a very real thing. We um, we had a few uh, people in our own um, community group who have um, the virus and having to um, be at home with their family and kind of worrying through. Um, what the future might be or how that'll impact just because we're still unsure of like how this will impact our lungs in the future. So Mm -hmm. there seems to be a recovery, but what is, what is our lung capacity after experiencing this? And, um, and some, you know, some are older and in, you know, the, the one like big pastoral thing, just even wondering, like, I can't visit some of these people in the hospital. Um, so just sort of like ordinary pastoral care that um, is sort of an impulse isn't available. And, you know, what we just had a big uh, phone call with a bunch of pastors who are trying to figure out, okay, we're actually losing um, members or they're losing their life. And we, we don't know how to do, because we can't gather for a funeral. And so this grief um, process is just sort of, very strange, confusing, prolonged, and it can't be done in company among friends. Um, and so it's just this weird, confusing time of like, how do I actually, how do you lead a church, a congregation in a plague? And mm-hmm. um, it, there's just there wasn't any seminary class that taught you how to do
1: that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's so sobering, too. Um- to hear you speaking right to the heart of this that we are so accustomed in in grief and in tragedy to gather and to be together and to yeah. su- support each other in that way and this is one of the things that um, has changed like we all have to figure out a new way to do this and it's so hard because we we need each other physically to support each other in, crisis and we're not able to do it. And I think that's one of the things about the some of the common things I'm seeing with denial, where it it feels like it is um, sort of minimizing or sidestepping the real loss that we are facing because we can't be together. Um, and And people have tossed out things like, oh, but there are all kinds of deaths all the time. This isn't that much Different, And it's like, well, yes, it is, because all the deaths are happening all at once, and we can't all be together, and we can't have funerals, and we can't have grieving like we usually do. There's such a loss there. And I think that's been my frustration with kind of like this, um, this quick turn to deny or to minimize what's going on, because it really is affecting how we can even process what's happening to us in society.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I want to make sure we say clearly and directly is that there's a reason that we might move quickly to kind of a minimization. Um, It's not that people are just being (laughs) just political or just whatever, or just uncaring, or even our own temptation to live and say, well, maybe it's not as bad Mm -hmm. as there's a reason we react in this way. And I think it's, At some level, it's just too overwhelming. It's been so unprecedented in our experience. Uh, We don't have a frame of reference necessarily for this kind of large-scale crisis, both to our physical health, but also to you know people's livelihoods, um, the disruption of education, and so we are all facing grief of different kinds, we're all isolated and alone from each other in that grief. And so what else are we going to do? I mean, like, <laughs> how else are we going to cope with it?
1: Right, right. Yeah. To try to deal with the reality. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: So I think there is like this wishful thinking sometimes, and I've I've engaged in it. I remember even a week or two ago, I was like, well, Easter is going to be really nice when we can all be back in church together. <laughs> like. <laughs> And and it was this kind of hopefulness of maybe things will be back to normal. Maybe this is just a temporary thing and we can get over it and get on with things. Um, And I think embedded in that is I think we lack mechanisms or skills or practices Mm, that mm -hmm. allow us to face this and to actually name and lament the grief that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. now, John, you can come in and say something very pastoral and
1: (laughs) yes, please.
0: (laughs) Well, I think one of the big, one of the big challenges for, for our setting and I'm sure it's everywhere else is, um, we're, we're used to, um, being able to do all kinds of things whether it's performing at work or whether it's um being entertained or or reaching out relationally or just even even good things of of being together and some of those normal comforts are removed and we're just sort of left to ourself and what we have with ourself we don't always like and so um or what were the, the emotions that come to the surface when we're left to ourselves we don't like. And so some of the normal ways in which we reach out and um, numb those emotions are taken away from us, even, even good ways like serving. So many of the ordinary ways of serving people of just human touch of being together of uh, even delivering groceries is a challenge. Some of those things are, are removed from us and so we're left with a kind of um, weird isolation and and dormancy that um, we're extremely uncomfortable with and we don't know quite what to do with and even just um, among us pastors I think there's this sort of performative spirituality where we are screenshotting all of our zoom calls that we're having with people and putting them on our social media so that we're at least giving evidence that we're productive, that we're getting stuff done. We're, we're doing things still. And, you know, people already think we only work one day a week and what are they thinking now? And, and so just trying to give some evidence that we're, we're being productive. We're, We're performing, and we. I think we're we're being proven um, that we we don't know how to be a a people who have like hidden lives, quiet lives, and because we're when we're left to ourselves, or we don't like what we what we have, we're very uncomfortable with it. So, you know, the when I'm doing pastoral counseling over Zoom calls or phone calls, um, the biggest Uh, pastoral counseling issue is suddenly what people are finding is there's rage and anxiety. Some of it's rational. Most of the time, it's irrational that my boss can't see everything I'm doing. And so I'm having to constantly be anxious about, do they see that I'm doing this? Do they see that I'm working my time? Do they see that I'm worthy of my pay? And um, and we're so used to having this performative aspect to our existence and so much of it now, apart from social media, uh, unfortunately, but so much of the other ways that, are, that we find our meaning and meaning performance is taken away. And so we're just sort of left with a good bit of anxiety and um, we're, we're having to kind of reckon with that in ways that maybe we haven't before.
1: All of that that you're describing I mean, I can relate to all of those things. And and even what you're saying about how there's this discomfort and and kind of like coming to grips with where you are, um, with how you used to measure your success, and now that's stripped away or it's changed. That to me is exactly why we are so prone or, or why we desire to move toward denial it's like let's minimize this thing and let's let's make it not so bad because dealing with all of this that I have going on inside the emotional turmoil of it oh it's just so overwhelming um and but I I think that even in the midst of that um, it is influencing our perspective and our reactions our responses and we, we can't find that wholeness that we are talking about in this whole series. We can't find that wholeness by staying in the denial. And so we really need tools, I think, to move toward that wholeness and, and to find a way to um, face the reality, even if we have to do it in stages.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There was the, res- the lack in the ability to respond appropriately, um, causes more suffering. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, it, it redirects our ability to reach for wholeness. Because in some ways, um, you know, for Christians throughout history, they've, they've known how to be isolated. They've known how to be, um, sort of experience a kind of dormancy. And we've just always called it um, solitude. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, Henri Nouwen kind of uses this framework of, uh, experiencing the sort of desolation and, and wilderness of, of isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. and, and knowing how to turn it into a fruitful solitude. And in, in many ways, we're having to experience, at least as Christians, um, experience, okay, what does it mean for me to be alone and do that fruitfully? Yeah. and um, And to really see our emotions as... And our lives as seeds, because if we if we don't, you know, Psalm one twenty six describes our tears, our sadness, our lamenting, and our suffering as seeds. So, right, those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. But he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of, of joy, bringing sheaves with him. So, with you know, Jesus or uh, the psalmist imagines that God is, is actually using our seeds of suffering, of alienation, of exile. That's the context of Psalm 126. We have this existence that just seems not part of the plan. I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know who I am. And all of those emotions and planting them in, as seeds. And God uses that. So there's this honest declaration of of what's going on, of what's going on inside me, all my grief, and God uses that, plants it, and it turns into joy, it turns into uh, rejoicing and um, dancing, and but without that, you know, without the seed, it doesn't produce into anything. So you know, for many of us, we try to you know plant joy when we really should be planting our grief it's God who turns it into joy and um so for for many of us we just I think we're very uncomfortable with the fact that we're going to have to be very very honest and um in in a way that a farmer plants a seed to get a crop we're going to have to plant our griefs in order to get real joy lasting joy that's that's actually meaningful does that make sense
2: It reminds me um, a lot of how you write in your book. And I'm just going to tell listeners of Persuasion, you will want this book, The Possibility Mm -hmm. of Prayer. Um, I like a lot of books. I like a lot of authors. I am happy to share a lot of different books. It's rare that I love a book. I love this book. Um, So go get it. But one thing you write, Um, John, and I'm going to just read this uh, for everyone. This is in the chapter you've titled, Outgrowing the Reactionary Heart. A life of prayer and stillness with God is the place reactionary hearts go to die and be raised as something deeper. We must be alert to the formation of our spirit and our soul. And I think that's very much akin to what you're saying here is that there is this deeper work that God is doing and it comes, it becomes clearer in the stillness and in the kind of forced, even in these moments of forced isolation, where what God is doing in our souls and our spirits is this work of taking our grief and our lament and and making it fruitful. You also talk um, in this chapter about how that happens even more practically, and you kind of direct readers toward the Psalms. Tell us about that.
0: Well, I mean, I I can't remember the exact phrasing that Calvin uses, but he describes the Psalm as sort of just like the directory of all of human emotion. So, you know, in, in some ways, um, when we are going through deep and heavy emotions we we actually feel like we're being acted upon so we we don't feel in control of our surroundings we don't feel in control of ourselves and so um we, we don't really probably know what to say oftentimes um and the good thing about the psalms is that it's it gives us things to say when we don't know what to say and and so you know like if we're in despair, it gives us despairing words. Um, if it gives us anger, if we're angry, it gives us angry words. And, um, and you know, I, I think one of the things is, is that the Lord knows how to heal us um, and he, because he's created us. And, and one of the ways he uses healings is just getting us to say things to him that are really, really important for us to express, even if it's anger. So Psalm 88 is a really angry psalm and it's an angry psalm at God. It's a pretty accusatory psalm. You know, it's like, you've done this to me. (laughs) It ends basically um, saying, uh, you know, darkness has been a better friend than you, O Lord. And, you know, it doesn't have that redemptive turn where it's like, it starts angry, but it's like, but I hope in the Lord. It doesn't end that way. It just it ends with just sort of darkness. And that's a pretty uncomfortable psalm, especially since like if my kid probably talked that way in a prayer, I'd be like, hey, show some respect. You're praying. Um
1: Yeah, Yeah, like let me correct that for
0: you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it's but what's really remarkable is that those are inspired words for us to say. Like God inspired them. He's not so insecure that he can't hear our complaints. He's not so insecure. He can't hear our anger. Um, he just knows what, you know, what, what we need to say when we get desperate. And, and so for us to maybe resist those emotions um, oftentimes means that we resist healing. And that puts us in a in a hard place to be able to function well in wholeness and community when, when we're not experiencing healing from God, we're going to reach for us somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and that's where sort of having a reactionary heart. Um, there's no peace. We're not looking at it from God, so we're gonna we're gonna force peace where there isn't peace. Where if, mm-hmm. if I'm out of control, I'm gonna force control. But what we really need is to to bring those longings, emotions to God and give him a context to and a playing field to heal our, our emotions in that way. So the Psalms are just sort of the place in which God draws us in and says, okay, you're feeling a lot of things and I have a lot of things for you to say to me. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's just one step of, of healing. I mean, it's different than grumbling. Um, the Israelites were grumbled and they were judged, but Job complained to the Lord and was called righteous. So there's a difference, you know, one sort of grumbles one another and uh, the other one brings his complaint to to the Lord. And so there's a healing. There's a, it's kind of the first step of faith is to express your emotions, whatever they may be, um, to God.
1: In a sense, as we move past or through denial and, and latch on to that honesty, that truth telling that you're speaking of, it seems like then that's where we're able to plant the right kind of seeds. I, I loved that picture that you're painting there that we have to sow those seeds to get joy as the harvest. And I, as I was thinking about the fallout of denial in my life, how I've seen it, and then how I can see it out in um, regard to this pandemic, it's like if we deny The pain and the reality that this is having upon us, it's like you lose the ability to relate to people. And then if you aren't being honest about what is going on in the world, it's like you're disconnecting from God's heart because he's grieving over what's going on. And so I feel like there it's like this flip side of we're trying to push away these bad things, but in reality, what we're doing is we're losing out. By not being honest, and so learning how to lament and learning how to be honest, I so appreciate that we can turn to the Psalms and and learn how to practice that because we aren't good at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's not a quick it's not a quick move, um, which is why it's really a challenge for us to to be able to sit with the Psalms and mm-hmm. allow those emotions to come to the surface because they oftentimes feel like um, our worst enemies are coming to get Mm. us. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I don't think any of us are going anywhere anytime soon. So we have that.
1: (laughs) We have time and space. Is that what you're saying, Hannah?
2: (laughs) Well, I have noticed in my own life that the forced isolation, the forced um, slowing down of my life, has given me space to create better opportunities and better habits in Mm. terms of prayer. Mm -hmm. And it has been, for me personally, the combination of, okay, I'm gaining a little more control over my schedule in terms of (laughs) I I am home. Right. And also the sheer weight of what's happening. I have nowhere else to turn. I have, nobody else can give answers. I look at my spouse. I look at my kids. I look to friends and family. And I look to the government and nobody, like nobody knows much more. They're not much further along. I don't Mm -hmm. mean that there aren't experts. You understand what I'm saying. But we're all kind of learning this moment together and so in my own life there has been an unexpected welcome and a humbling I have to say truly humbling rebirth of prayer because of the moment and and my hope is that it is something that will outlive the moment
0: well I think you know if you if you go to Matthew 6, where Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And He's he's getting He's getting at the very he's sort of like what does a prayer look like if you really are poor in spirit? What does it look like? That means you ask for everything. Like everything is dependent upon a gracious father. Um, yeah. you're extremely needy. And here you suddenly We're suddenly put in a world where we are extremely needy. Um, We we can't control how everything is happening. We're we're at the mercy of our circumstances. The only thing we can do is pray. And I think what Jesus would tell us if if he was sort of present and preaching the Sermon on the Mount again, I don't think he would say, oh, now you're more needy than you were. It's just now mm-hmm. just being exposed as just this is actually how needy you are. You know, Jenna, my wife, um, she just texted me about 30, 40 minutes ago, so excited that she could order food from Costco because it usually takes like two weeks for them to deliver to us just because it's so backed up and the markets are all empty of just sort of some ordinary food like we had to order bulk of 50 pounds of flour. I have no idea where we're going to put 50 pounds of flour in our apartment. Um, But just like for the first time, you know, we were sitting over dinner the other night. It's like, well, let's pray for our daily bread. We don't do that. And we we actually need to. And we should have been all along. And um, I think Jesus in some ways is showing us this is how needy you are. Really, you're dependent upon my good grace all of the time. And so, you know, one of the big hopes for me and at least my community, um, and I think probably for Christians all over, is that as, as we sense more and more our dependence and neediness, we'll actually experience more and more His provision and presence and care. So, you know, for so many of us, I don't think we've been aware of just how numb or you know, distanced we are to God's presence and care. And just not, we just not don't feel needy. We don't feel vulnerable to it. Um, so now we're just almost either we will either be hardened and bittered or we'll be completely open and vulnerable and we'll experience that sort of renewing sense of his presence and care. And so, which is why, you know, we've been using here in our community that this could really be a fruitful dormancy in a way that a seed has to be planted in the ground and just has to open up to all the resources of the soil. Um, and you know, in some ways we kind of have to die to being in control. We have to die to being the most productive person in every room that we walk into. Um, well, well, we'll be the most productive person I mean, in every room we walk into because it's the only person in the room is me. Um, for um, but it's it, there's just there's no performing right now. It's only being seen by God right now, and it's it's a it's a, it's a new existence. It's a new it's a new kind of way of thinking about ourselves that people have denied for so long, and so it could be just a really really fruitful season for many of us and when we come out of this dormancy it'll be a kind of new fruitfulness with new resources we just didn't know we had before
1: well john that word about making this dormant time fruitful in terms of our pursuit of god i feel like that is just such a needed message and um it's hopeful, even though it's facing the reality that things are just so difficult right now. And um, I'm just so appreciative that you're here um, talking with us and joining this conversation. I appreciate your gentle insight and your manner. I think that um, so many people who are listening are going to appreciate that. So thank you so much for joining us and being with us. Yeah, we so appreciate it. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this installment of our growing viral series um, but listeners you can jump right into the next installment because uh, those are all downloaded and, and delivered they're right there for you to listen to um, in the next episode we are talking about the uptick in anger and frustration that come with living in this viral age you have been listening to persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at Christandpopculture.com/slash
0: network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true to life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct